Hi everyone, I'm Tammy Nasir, welcoming you to another episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, brought to you by Tammy Nasir Leadership, our leadership consulting firm that offers leadership keynotes, corporate training, and leadership facilitations. If you'd like to learn more, visit our company's website at tavernasir.com and find out how we can bring invaluable insights and practical tools to improve the way you lead and help your organization to succeed in its goals. And now, let's meet my guest for this episode, Victoria Ruse Olson. Okay, this is my time to really listen. This is a time to learn. So what's really going on? What, what's happening out there? So you should, if you prepare, think about the questions that you're going to ask rather than all the answers or tasks that you're going to delegate. And then spend more time listening than talking. Most people who choose to become leaders do so with the best of intentions because they naturally want to succeed. So why is it still a commonly held notion that people leave not because of the organization, but because of their boss? That's one of the questions I'll be examining in this episode with leadership expert Victoria Rules Olson. Victoria is a senior leadership consultant with the Franklin Covey organization. She has also led L&D departments for large corporations across Europe and the Middle East. And recently, she co-authored a new leadership book called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices for Leading a Team, which will be the focus of my conversation with Victoria today. Hi, Victoria. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. So, Victoria, your book addresses that common adage that people don't quit because of the organization, they quit because of their manager. Indeed, throughout your book, you and your co-authors share personal examples of employees and colleagues leaving a company or thinking about leaving because of the working conditions created by their boss. Now, among the six practices you write about regarding how we can be the kind of leaders that employees need to deliver their best, there were a few that stood out to me for different reasons. And the first one I wanted to talk with you about is the practice of holding regular one-on-ones with your employees. And the reason for that is that in some of my corporate training sessions, I discuss both why this is necessary and how leaders can incorporate these get-togethers in their work week. But before we talk about some of the strategies you share on how to specifically do this, I was wondering if you could share why this is necessary, as I'm sure you've gotten, like me, that pushback from leaders who say they've already got overflowing plates of work and to-do lists, and they just can't add another item into their workday. So, Victoria, why do leaders need to make time for this? Yeah, and that is a very good and relevant and common question. And If your mindset is that your one-on-one is really sort of a very quick status check, sort of, hey, how was last week? Yeah, what's going on? What's happening next week? Do you need my help with anything? If that's your perception of a one-on-one, yeah, well, maybe then you don't really need to have it that often. And I often get the question as well, like, well, really with senior employees, do I need to have my one-on-ones there? I mean, they're big enough to, to deal with this on their own. But if you change your mindset and think about it like, all right, so this is my one unique opportunity this week to really sit down with my key employees on a one-on-one basis and see what is it that I can do to help them raise that engagement so that they feel, you know, not just that they're here to do their work, but they really feel creatively excited and they want to contribute. And amidst all the 
mess and stress and pressure and whirlwind that's going on, you get that moment to sort of just step out from that and catch what's truly important. If that's what you were thinking a one-on-one is, well, then it does really make sense to have them. And I'm sure it comes as no surprise that I completely agree with you, Victoria. But now that we looked at the why, I'd love to discuss the how, because again, I think this is where leaders can trip themselves up. For example, I recently had a discussion with a newly minted manager who under the new role is undertaking a sizable change initiative. And they often have those one-on-one meetings with the senior management department. And like you just said, these meetings tend to be more their boss asking for status updates and checking stuff off their list. Okay, where are you on this? Are you on that? Good, good, go. And this new manager admitted to me that they often left these meetings feeling even more behind than they before the meeting. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Because they couldn't get their issues or concerns addressed. They were going in saying, okay, good, I'm going to get some information on this. I'm going to get some input on how to approach this. What is the critical issues I should be focusing on over the next week or two? And none of those got addressed. Yeah. So... When it comes to creating these one-on-one sessions, how do we go about making sure we're doing it right and consistently over time? Well, I think a key to have effective one-on-ones is to spend a bit of time preparing for them, just like you would for any other important meeting. Like, you know, you would go into an important client meeting, you'd prepare. And as a leader or manager, I think that's what you need to do as well, to really think about, hey, what's then in mind with this meeting? And also set your team member up for success by asking them to prepare and even sort of state that at the start of the meeting. So, you know, when we rush out from here in 30 minutes, what do we, what do we need to know or do differently or what's important to sort of really set that end in mind? I think that's key. And another key where so many managers, you know, we're, we're there, we're problem solvers and we're going right into kind of a strange delegation mode, sharing all the things that need to be done. Okay. This is my time to really listen. This is a time to learn. So what's really going on? What, what's happening out there? So you should If you prepare, think about the questions that you're going to ask rather than all the answers or tasks that you're going to delegate. And then spend more time listening than talking. Right. And, you know, I love this point you bring up in your book of how we need to remember that the point of these meetings is for us as leaders to elevate our employees. It's for us to figure out how we can help them do better, be better, so that they can not only succeed at achieving the goals we assigned to them, but so that they can also become stronger team members who can help us to collectively succeed. Exactly. You're building strength here. You know, that's, that's your key purpose, really. <laughs> that's one of your key purposes as a leader to, to help elevate and build your team so that you all can go out and really do some great work. Absolutely. Making that perceptual shift from what am I getting out of this to How am I helping you get something beneficial out of this time with me is so important and critical in today's workplaces where it's understood that what's key to our long-term success at leadership is our ability to nurture and sustain relationships with our employees, that we're able to understand what's their internal motivations and how to tie it to our organization's vision so that they're willing to share their best efforts because they motivate themselves to do so. Exactly. And remembering it's their meeting. It's not your meeting. It's their meeting. I love that too. That's such a great point there. 
And there's something you mentioned in the structure of how to go around scheduling these one-on-one meetings that it leads into the second practice that you describe in your book. And it's this notion that when we're looking at scheduling these one-on-one meetings, one of the keys for it to be successful is to make sure we're accounting for our energy level. And I love this idea of learning to become more aware of how our energy levels fluctuate over the work week because it actually reflects something I wrote about in my book, Leadership Vertigo, where I talk about how the energy levels we have impact our ability to be truly present and engaged with our employees, whether it's in those one-on-ones or in a group meeting, so that they're not feeling as though we're simply just going through the motions. Oh, well, we have to have these meetings, or I have to meet in with you to check in with you. So this is another practice that you write about that really caught my interest, where you write about how we need to be taking a greater effort to manage both our energy and our time. Now, I know in your book you did mention, Victoria, that this is something you're particularly passionate about, and I love this idea you share, that there are these five energy drivers we can use to boost our energy levels. So what are these five energy drivers, and how can they help us to be more engaged and present? Well, I, I, you know what, I, I, I'll share the five energy drivers. They're super important, but I, I'm just coming back from having delivered a, a workshop with some senior leaders. And it's interesting because I, I do think that most people, they do recognize these energy drivers, but still we kind of think of it as something more of a reward than an investment. And I think that that's sort of the key, the paradigm we have when we go into this, that we don't think as an energy driver to something we can, you know, do at the end of the week, but it's really something at the start of the week to make sure we can be that great leader. And so, yeah, so the energy drivers, it's a a lot of physical things in there. So it's about sleep. And this is in my experience where a lot of leaders fail short. And yeah, unfortunately, there have been some really like, cool leaders going out there making statements, how they can survive on three hours of sleep and still run this multi-billion dollar business. And that's a myth. I mean, we do need our sleep. We need our seven to eight hours of sleep and we need to prepare for that. And we need to be strategic about that because we need to come focused to work, right? So sleep is definitely one of the energy drivers. And then it's movement, and that is increasingly being proven over and over again how important that is. And we're not going to do movement because we want to, you know, look good, beach 2020, but we want to do movement so we can think good, so we can feel good. And there's research now really showing that if you go out and physically move properly, like three times a week, really get your pulse up for 40 minutes. That has a stronger effect on like mild depressions and things than just any medication. Isn't that cool to know? Yeah, it's very cool. Mm -hmm. And I'll just share because I just, if you sit down for four hours without moving, you actually shorten your life with 11 minutes. And I think this is also key. So when I was in Stockholm, I used to belong to this gym and going up to this gym, there was this escalator. And I'd, every time I'd run, you know, on my lunch meeting, trying to, to squeeze in a, a gym, doing something, I'd see all these people on this escalators with their fancy gym bags, sort of standing still, going up the escalators and actually not moving. And 
it's great to go to the gym, but we also need to be moving more in our everyday life. You know, so stand up, doing your work, go and see your colleague and, and get that everyday movement into our life. So that's super important. And it's one of the other energy drivers. Another energy driver is what we eat and how we nourish ourselves. And that is really something that is, it's so important. And again, it's not about beach 2020, but it's, you know, the fuel that we give to ourselves that really will make a difference. And I find it surprisingly that people tend to know, but they don't tend to do. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I know very much what you mean. So that's, that is critical and find sort of a way of, of doing, doing a, a balance like that. And then there is one that I, I think that I really think is important that we might not relate to as much. And that is how we actually connect with people. And I don't know if you've read on the work on the zones in, in the world, you know, where you live the longest, where you tend to live until you're 120 years. And they looked and studied and all our energy drivers came up there. And I thought, you know, yeah, of course, it's obvious, the physical, that you move and eat. You know, those were the things I thought immediately would be up there. But I was also happy to see that connection, to have meaningful relationships with people around you really makes a difference. And it's not just about having a happy marriage, but it's also about the connections with the people you work with, that they're special. And so that's that's another energy driver. How many have I given you so far? I think you've given me four so far. There's one I know that you mentioned in the five that really struck a note with me just because uh, it's one that I need to pay attention more to. So if I recap, so so far we've talked about sleep. We talked about moving and eating. We just talked about connecting, which I really like. And then it's the last one, which I think a lot of us can relate to that we need to do more of, and that is... We need to relax. There you go. Hmm. And this is also one that I feel is commonly misunderstood. And people sort of think that means binge watching the sitcom, you know, like, but relax is really to kind of clear our mind, to really get out, you know, all these thoughts and things going on and, and find a little bit of peace. And it's not something that we should save for Sundays, but it's something we need to find spots throughout our day to do a little bit of relaxation. This one really struck a note with me, Victoria. I mean, especially when we think about how we hear a lot these days about the growing concerns around mental health, emotional well-being, and burnout at work. And it's because of the fact we are spending more of our week working. And I love this idea you just mentioned that we should be taking these little breaks throughout the day, not just doing it on Sunday. And you actually take it one step further and say that we should also schedule longer mental breaks. What you often will hear being referred to us that we should do is that we should be taking a me day. And this is something I'm going to admit I struggle with sometimes because there will be weeks where I've been working at this frenzied pace and then things start to calm down. And then a lot of times it'll actually almost feel like a hard stop. Right. All of a sudden it's like I'm done. And then I'm like, OK, now I don't know what to do with myself. And I know I should take advantage of the downtime to relax and recharge. 
but there are times I'm going to admit that I feel guilty about taking that me time. And I know from talking with other colleagues that they also feel this pressure to keep busy instead of taking a moment to, as my physics professor used to say, come up for air. So what advice would you share for how to know it's time to ease off the pedal and give our body and mind time to restore and rejuvenate so we're ready for that next big wave? Yeah, that that's a brilliant question. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that. We we talk about it as unseasonable imbalances and you kind of get into this crazy hectic period. And before you know it, that crazy hectic part is kind of your new normal and you can't walk out of there. And you kind of, even if you might not be that busy, you still keep up on that rate. So what, what I do for myself is ahead of time. So For example, I know that the next month for me involves a lot of traveling, a lot of facilitation and keynotes. So then I already now book in and I call them ego days. So it's like a day just for myself to really relax. And just like you, I can feel that sometimes it's like you, you come up, you come to these days when it's like, okay, now it's time to relax. And you're so upwinded that you can't really relax. So let's not put too much pressure maybe on, you know, like on these relaxing days, they can just be like going for a nice hike or, or, or find some time for yourself. But what I also do is I have some days that are a little bit more strategic, relaxation, a time to really sort of look back at, hey, how am I doing? How are things going according to where I want to be? So it's more like strategy days. And they're not entirely the same because one day is kind of just resting, getting back into it. Maybe it's doing some mild yoga, going for a massage or doing these kind of things. And I, I, I did... So I did see a comment. So I'm I'm blogging for Thrive Global, and some there was a question saying, "Hey, what do you do when you have 15 minutes? That you know that you get up for some reason you get 15 minutes in the day." And I really try to use those 15 minutes to go for a walk, because that is something that is really relaxing for me. And I don't listen to any podcasts. I don't listen to anything. Ideally, if I'm close to nature, I'd like to go out in nature. And I think you need to find these not super ambitious moments to do those things, but also see it as this is a strategic investment in me. This is not being lazy or or trying not to work, but this is so that I can think even better tomorrow. Now, Victoria, I'm sure you're like me in having certain questions that you get asked a lot about your work. And so... To close things off, I'm curious, what's the most common question you get from leaders about how they can become better or great managers? And what's the biggest concern you hear often voiced and what advice do you share to help them address it? Oh, well, I'm trying to see if I do have like a specific question that I get asked all. I mean, what I find is that a lot of managers and a lot of leaders out there, they really want to do good. They really want to do well. And they're really, many of them actually also really struggling because they don't get the tools. And we were sharing that in our book. And I talk a lot about that. We saw this study from Harvard Business Review that stated that most managers get their first managerial role at the age of 30 on average. And you know, when they get their 
first on average leadership development training? I believe it's 40, isn't it? It's like 10 years later. What age? 42. Yeah. It's 42. It's a 12-year gap. Can you imagine? Yeah, it's crazy. And 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 I think that's so unfair. I mean, what other profession would you just sort of put someone out there and say, hey, good luck. Try it for 12 years. And if you're still around, we'll give you some tools on, on how to do it. And I I think the challenge is that a lot of managers, they get their promotion because they did their previous job so well. And now here they are. And it's kind of expected that this should be some natural born thing that we're all born leaders or or not. So you better not ask any questions. So I think for many leaders that I work with, and it doesn't matter if you're just a first level leader or, or a senior level leader, I find that they find such a relief in like, oh my goodness, there are some tools. There are things that I can use and practice and prepare. And those meetings will go much better. And I love to see that when there's this realization like, hey, I can get better. I can do a lot more to really become this great manager. And that's pretty cool. True. You know, Victoria, you're the first one I asked this question to. And uh, I'm really glad that you shared this answer because, again, if we go back to how we started our conversation, we talked about this common notion that everyone has that I don't quit my job, I quit my boss, right? And so, yeah, okay, the impression it gives is obviously your leader failed you, but there's also this negative connotation that they weren't very good or they weren't very invested in me. And I love that you're sharing the other side of the equation, which we don't hear a lot, which is that, you know, a lot of them, and I often tell people that no one goes into working as a leader saying, boy, I really hope I just tear the joy <laughs> out of people's lives. If I no. can do that, if I can see the energy just drain from the faces of my employees, I'll feel like, man, what a great day. <laughs> right. I get this exact reaction. The whole audience erupts. They said, but this yeah. is the problem, right? Yeah. We have to understand that we all are trying to come in here to achieve these goals, but sometimes we're not delivering it in the best way. And so I really think what a great way to end this conversation and having this message being told from the other side, which is that, yes, you might be leaving because you're manager, but understand that they're struggling and they're hopeful in trying to say, I want to be better. I want to discover how to be better. The challenge I'm facing is I'm lacking the time and resources to do it. So I think with books like yours and coming on my show and sharing these insights is hopefully helping us move that needle and giving people the resources and the hope that, yes, you know what, we can go forward and be better and really get the best from our employees. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great closing statement because at the end of the day, if you are a manager, you can really do good. You can really contribute to the better good of this world by just being a great manager. And, and that's a cool contribution. Absolutely. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I really appreciate also you sharing some advice that I'm going to be putting into use <laughs> and how I approach my work. So thank you so much for sharing your insights on how we can become great managers for our employees. Thank you. I've been talking to Victoria Rules Olson about her book, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices for Leading a Team. To learn more about Victoria's work, check out the show notes for this episode on our podcast page at tamvidnasir.com slash LBC. 
And that's a wrap for this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, brought to you by Tavernasir Leadership. Looking for a keynote speaker or corporate trainer for your next event? Then visit our company's website at tavernasir.com to find out how we can bring these kinds of insights to your organization, either at an upcoming conference, leadership retreat, or for a corporate training event. Now, if you've had any questions or comments, please drop me a note through the contact form on my website. And if you've enjoyed this episode and previous episodes of Leadership Biz Cafe, please help support the show by sharing it with a colleague or with your team. And a great way to do that is to direct them to our podcast page at tavernaseer.com slash LBC, where they can not only find all episodes of the show, but links to subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio. By helping us get the word out about the show, you can help us to continue bringing more of these insights into how you can succeed at leadership. And with that, I'm Tammy Nasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Leadership Biz Cafe.